Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast, episode number 62. When I woke up in the morning, my sister had come to visit. So she came and was talking, calling my name. And I was like, oh, what are you doing here? This early. She was like, it's not early. It's 11 o'clock, 11 a.m. Don't say 11 a.m. She said, yeah. She asked me, what time do you think it is? I said, well, maybe 5 o'clock. 5 a.m. in the morning. She said, why? I said, because there's no light. Then she said, she laughed and she said, what do you mean by there's no light? I said, I don't see any light. This is the dark. Then she says, the window, no, I actually asked her, are the windows opened? Mm-hmm. She said, yes. I could hear the cars moving. I said, are the windows open? She said, yes. Then she said, you're not seeing any light? I said, no. She asked me, do you see me? I said, no. I said, where are you? I actually stretched my hand. She came and held my hand. I was like, oh, wow. She asked, you don't see me? I said, no, I don't see you. <clears throat> so for me, it was just like, maybe somebody turned off the light, you know, mm-hmm. like, turned off the light from the switch. So it was for me just like, okay, she should go tell the nurses and they'll come back or the doctor will just come up and turn the light. That's how I felt. My body was just like, okay, this is something that can rectify just then. So I asked her, can you call for the nurse? She went for the nurse, got her, the nurse came and told me that, oh yeah, you can't see. <clears throat> and then the nurse said, she's going to go call for the doctor. They called the doctor. He came and checked and said, oh yeah, you can't see, you can't see. So uh, we have to call in a specialist. Okay, I knew this specialist is coming to just turn off the light or turn on the light and now we're able to see. Mm-hmm. It's been a long day without you, my friend. Welcome to the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast, the podcast dedicated to inspiring dancers worldwide whose hearts have been touched by music and dance. The universal language of dance and music is spoken by many of us throughout the world. We want to motivate the dancer in you by sharing stories, insights, and ideas to enhance your journey. Join us now with your host, Charles Ogar. Hello, hello, and this is Charles with the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast coming at you with yet another episode this week. And this episode is going to be uh, pretty special because I have a very talented individual on the line. Um, His name is Sammy, and I'll give him a moment here in a second to introduce himself. Um, Also with Sammy is um, Shondell, who's with him as well, who's kind of been helping out with Sammy's condition, which you will learn about in just a few moments here. But uh, this episode is going to be focusing on Sammy and his journey. And I've been kind of following uh, the new developments that have happened in his life. And I think it will be awesome for him to share his story uh, on the podcast since this is the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast. Uh, He is connected to Kizoma community, but this kind of extends past uh, just the Kizomba community. It talks about uh, the power of dance uh, and Kizomba. And this is what the podcast is about. It's not just going to be Kizomba. Um, but yeah, uh, Sammy, Sammy, how are you doing? Hi, Jess. I'm doing great. Man. Mm-hmm. And Thank hello, you so much for 
this opportunity, Charles. Yes, and yeah. hello, Shondell, as well. Yes, thank you. Thank you for the welcome. All right, so just so um, if people on the audience have never heard of you guys before, uh, let's go ahead. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a gentleman and let Shondell talk about herself first, and then we'll let Sammy um, introduce himself about what you guys do in the dance world today. Okay, well, my name is Shondell. I live in Dallas, and I've been dancing Kidomba for about four and a half years. Um, mainly trained locally and with some international instructors that come through the state. I think I'm a big part of our community. I've been one of the long-standing community members. I've watched the community change, and uh, I've also been honored to see what parts of the community remain the same and kind of have grown over the years. Yeah, um, some of us have been dancing Kizomba for about uh, seven years now, six, getting to seven years, currently living in Dallas and teach with uh, Shonda. Um, we do a lot of projects in Dallas and uh, uh, this is basically in the style of Kizomba. I am also a scientist by profession. Yeah. And in February, we had a competition, a Kizomba competition, the Olympiads of Kizomba. And Sammy competed with a girl named Patricia. And he did pretty well in urban and essential. I remember you had the rose and you like put out the red carpet and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, so it was a really, really good time. It was a fun time there. Um, and I think I also showed some... I love uh, underwear or hot for you. Um, I'll see if I can find that photo and put it in the show notes. But basically, um, I like fur. I posted about it a lot on Facebook and I found some fur underwear that said hot for you. <laughs> but um, that's kind of like besides the point. But um, after the Olympiads, uh, Sammy's life definitely changed. And I'll let Sammy go ahead and explain what happens after. So, Go ahead and explain your experience with Olympiads and then what happened after Olympiads. Yeah, just uh, thank you really for the opportunity to share my story. I'm hoping that at the end of this, uh, I'll be able to inspire people out there who are listening and uh, I'm going to get some support also from more people. Uh, before we go into the story, Charles, maybe i just give a brief uh, a summary of my background. I'm mm -hmm. a Cameroonian. I'm a Cameroonian, originally from Cameroon, like born in Cameroon. And I've been living in South Africa for quite a long time. Um, in fact, uh, my journey into Kizomba actually started long time ago, like 2006. That is when I saw Kizomba, like something Kizomba. I didn't even know that was Kizomba when I was in South Africa. Uh, last a student at the University of Leeds Restaurant. We had a student party, so I went to the party. I just saw some people dancing. And I was like, oh, what kind of dance is this? So it made no sense to me. No, I didn't understand the music, nothing, but I just, okay, watched. But then uh, I had the opportunity to move to, to travel to England. I was in London and for research purpose. And then I had to take dance lessons from one uh, dance studio. In fact, when I got there, I was introduced to Kizomba again. That is the first time I actually understood the name of the dance and 
the basics. I just tried the basics. In fact, I really didn't understand much. I think I took just like maybe two lessons and I concentrated on salsa and bachata. Then moved back to South Africa. And then uh, 2012, I left for France. And that is where I was formally introduced into Kizomba. Like in France, I was working. So most of the time after work, I stayed in my house or my room. And I had a friend called Alice. She actually approached me to say, why are you always stay indoors like a weekend? So I'm like, okay, I don't know places here. I'm just new in France, so I can't go out. So she invited me to, um, to one dance um, studio where they do lessons and stuff. So we went there. And uh, that is how I got to be introduced into Kizomba. I met people dancing and I looked at them. Oh, like, I recognize this thing. It was the same moves, kind of way people were moving, the frame and everything. And when I was told that this is Kizomba, then it not clicked to me that this is what I saw back then in 2006. So from then, uh, I learned from many instructors great instructors in france this include uh people like edna most popular people i mean uh, moon laurent and adeline i learned from felicien and isabel i learned from uh Isito. i learned from jerome from rodney from max Mann. so many people in france and uh i had the opportunity to move to the u.s I moved to the U.S. and uh, I met Kizomba again. I remember when I came here the first week, I started looking for places for Kizomba and I found Alpha Midway when there, oh, there was a social and I had a great time dancing the whole time. I was there. Oh, I, was yeah. actually <laughs> your, I was actually your first dance in Kizomba. Oh, That's really? the story I tell myself. Oh, that. okay. I was your first American Kizomba dance. Oh, wow. It was certainly first at Alpha Midway. Yeah, it was amazing that day. I mean, I, I danced. As I got in, there I was just dancing and meeting people. Great community. You know, people were so friendly asking me where I was from because I just saw this strange person like here doing urban and like, where are you from? What's your name? And all this kind of thing, you know. I danced the whole night. You were doing moves that we've never seen before. Oh, too. yeah, of course. Because I think I came people were dancing more like, I don't know, uh, Zuka, Ghetto Zuka. Ghetto Zuka, yeah. Yeah. So my moves were just like, wow. People were just asking me, where did you learn this? Where are you from? Wow. And then, of course, France is a big place for Kizomba. And so uh, it was like... Uh, there was more for me to teach people there, in fact, because they kept asking me about moves and all these people we learned from. Anyway, then, uh, of course, uh, Olympiad came up and I had to go into, into, to go compete in the Olympiad. And one of the things that motivated me to go into the competition was that this is something that is growing in the U.S. It's an opportunity for people to showcase their skills. Uh, it's not just about winning, it's about competing, it's about growing in your dance, putting yourself in uh, uncomfortable zones. You know, get out of your comfort zone, get into a place where you feel a little bit uncomfortable and from there you grow. So that was a great opportunity. And to also meet people, you know, networking, connect with people. And I'm so happy that I did a great job there. Yeah. Definitely. So that's how I got into Kizomba and mm -hmm. also competing in the Olympiad, you know. Yes. Yeah. 
and uh, post Olympiads, um, something very unexpected happened, yeah? Yes. So, just life has really been awesome for me. I mean, I had an amazing life before I fell sick. Just to backtrack, in my life, I barely remember being admitted in the hospital since I was born. I remember just one time since I was born being admitted in hospital. That was when I was like maybe 12 years old back in Cameroon. I've never been to the hospital and spent a day. I would just go get pills or medication and get back home and that was fine. And maybe for like five years, I might go to the hospital one time or I didn't even go at all. So everything has been going well for me, enjoying my life, dancing, you know, traveling the world. Traveling. I really traveled the world because of research. I I was really enjoying going over different continents, different countries, presenting my work in conferences and all stuff. And, you know, just after the Olympiad, I came back home and this morning I got up preparing to go to work. I got up from bed around 5 o'clock. Normally I leave home 5.30 a.m. in the morning. And I just heard this, or felt this intense headache, massive headache. And I was like, oh, wow, what is this? And I remember going to the bathroom and uh, there was this sensation of nausea. And I started vomiting and I was like, this is not correct. This is not, <laughs> this is not me. So I called the workplace to say, I'm not going to come to work. I have to go to the hospital. I left, I drove the car myself, went to the hospital in McKinney. That was on the 24th of April, 2018. I went to the hospital myself. And of course, they took the virus signs, met with the physicians and wrote some prescriptions, got some pills, got back home, took them after two days. The thing that is outside, it was just striking me still. I went again to the hospital. I was on the 27th now of April. I went to the hospital. Of course, the same routine, virus signs, saw a physician, but this time they decided to do a CT scan of my head because of this constant headache. Mm -hmm. So they asked me to go see a neurosurgeon and I went home took those pills. Those like painkillers, right? So painkillers, in fact. Yeah, I remember one of them was... Uh, Tylenol? Tylenol. Tylenol, yeah. <laughs> I don't even know the names of those stuff again. So I took them, actually painkillers, and this thing could not subside. The headache was too intense. And then I, on the 30th, I went to the 30th of April, I went to the neurosurgeon, and he examined the CT scan from the hospital. And that day, I remember when we got there, this pain was just unbearable. I felt like I just had to lie on the floor. So I was on the floor for quite the length of the time we were there. Mm -hmm. He was explaining the, the, the results that he's observing on the screen, the CT scan. I was not paying any attention because my head was just like it's going to split open. And I was sweating, really sweating. And he had the uh, AC on. And 
I was just sweating, sweating. The guy was like, wow. I have to call the hospital. He called the hospital and told them, this guy is not feeling well. I'm sending this guy back to you. And I want you people to do this and that, like kind of do a lot of tests, examine mm-hmm. me properly and please. This is the third time he's coming to the hospital. The way I see him, he shouldn't come back home and that. So, okay. Luckily, I was there with my sister. So, she drove the car. We went to the hospital. Got to the hospital. Then they admitted me. They said, okay, now we have to take you into the, uh, to the, what, to the laboratory or, or what for for uh, lumbar punctures so basically they went to my spinal cord to take out some cerebral spinal fluid because there was a lot of situation of this fluid that exerting pressure on my brain mm-hmm. so they took me in for lumbar puncture that was on the 30th of April so after the lumbar puncture went back into my room and slept that day the first the next day was the first of march and uh first of may oh sorry first of may <laughs> yeah first of may and when i when i got up you know i noticed that places were a bit cloudy and but it was not like a, a huge problem i just noticed that something changed then later in the evening I noticed that the change was drastic, was huge. And then I saw like places were more cloudy than I thought. And then I was like, okay, what is happening? Okay, it was fine for me. I just thought, okay, maybe it's the medications I'm taking or something, you know. Then I slept that evening and I uh, slept the whole night. But this headache was still there, even after the lumbar puncture, I still had headache. Slept the whole night, very well. Well, in terms of uh, just complaining of the headache and, you know, I could walk, I could get water, drink for myself, come back if I wanted to. But the headache would come for like one hour, two hours, outside, mm-hmm. then I'll sleep, then it comes back, just like that. When I woke up in the morning, my sister had come to visit. So she came and was talking calling my name and i was like oh, what are you doing here this early she was like it's not early it's 11 o'clock 11 a.m don't say 11 a.m she said yeah she asked me, what time do you think it is i said well maybe five o'clock five a.m in the morning she said why i said because there's no light then she said she laughed and she said what do you mean by there's no light i said i don't see any light this is the dark then she says, the window, no, I actually asked her, are the windows opened? Mm-hmm. She said, yes. I could hear the cars moving. I said, are the windows open? She said, yes. Then she said, you are not seeing any light? I said, no. She asked me, do you see me? I said, no. I said, where are you? I actually stretched my hand. She came and held my hand. I was like, oh, wow. She asked, you don't see me? I said, no, I don't see you. <clears throat> so for me, it was just like, maybe somebody turned off the light, you know, mm-hmm. like, and of the light from the switch so it was for me just like okay she should go tell the nurses and the camera or the doctor will just come up with the light that's how i felt my body 
it was just like, okay, this is something that can rectify just then. So I asked her, can you call for the nurse? She went for the nurse, got her, the nurse came and told me that, oh yeah, you can't see. <clears throat> and then the nurse said, she's going to go call for the doctor. They called the doctor. He came and checked and said, oh yeah, you can't see, you can't see. So uh, we have to call in a specialist. Okay, I knew this specialist is coming to just turn off the light or turn on the light and now we're able to see. Mm -hmm. So one day, two days, three, four days passed. We kept waiting. Then they would come and say, oh, the person is not able to come today, next week. Just like that, he's busy. Next week, soon they said they're going to move me to one other um, hospital or something so that I can easily see uh, the ophthalmologist. But then they kept saying there's no space there. You have to wait. Just like that, just like that. And then things gradually deteriorated. My health was just not the same again mm -hmm. now i was already asking myself wow so it's already one week two weeks i've not been able to see i keep just hearing people talking i'm not able to see people what is happening is it going to stay like this and then i actually at this point knew that something is really wrong here because it's like two weeks now in the first hospital this is the first hospital it's like two weeks okay things didn't get better i noticed that there was a day i i got up in fact i wanted to use the restroom so i tried to wake up from the bed i was unable i tried I, then i was like what is happening i could not get myself out of bed so you weren't able then to I move asked, i was not able so I had to ask for someone to help me, get me off the bed. So they did that. And then I tried to stand on my own. I could not. But I could not accept that I could not stand on my own. I could not believe it. So I kept saying, no, I can't go to the bathroom myself. So, you know, of course, they believed me. And but they were keeping a close <laughs> look, uh, kept watch of me. So mm -hmm. I, I took some few steps and I realized I was falling. And then they hurt me. And then the nurse said, no, from now, you're not going to walk on your own. No, you must have somebody by you. Wow, they took me back to the bed. And from there, I didn't move. I was just on the bed. I could not eat. I could not get water to drink. Everything I needed help. I was just on the bed. So now I thought, wow, this thing is really getting bad. And, of course, I lost appetite. I was not eating. So I lost a lot of weight. I reduced to my shadow, in fact. I was, like, not existing again. My sister came and looked at me. I was like, what is really happening? What's happening? Just mm -hmm. a few days, you've already lost weight. You've gone. I was like, I don't know. But it didn't end there. Things just started getting worse. I remember asking for water. I wanted to ask for water to drink. And just to say water, I could not. I struggled to say water. The words were not coming out. I remember I would be saying something like, wow. I asked myself, what is happening? I couldn't talk. My sister again was asking me, what is happening? You cannot talk. I said, no, I, I'm struggling to say I want water. In fact, I was just nodding my head because I could not talk. And I'm just talking by action. Mm -hmm. It's getting to her like I cannot talk. I cannot talk. 
But she asked me, what do you want? So my communication now is just by sign. I'm saying what, like showing the action I need some water. And then she gave me water I drank. I realized I could not talk. Wow, I'm like, damn, what is happening? You know, they called in the nurses, of course, they came in and they said, oh yeah, speech is a problem, okay? This didn't end, I mean, I passed out a couple of times. At this stage, I've already undergone like four lumbar punctures. But yeah, the pressure crazy. was, the headache was still intense. And it didn't end there, my memory. I lost memory. I could not remember anything again. People would come, I would be asking, were you here? I've stayed long, I've not seen you. And they were like, no, I was here in the morning. Or I was here yesterday. I had no recollection of events. I just lost everything. President. Wow. No. So, I, 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 I was just like, you know, it's only God that is going to take me out of this. But luckily at this stage, I had great friends who were by me the first day they even had that, I was in the hospital. So they kept giving me giving me a lot of encouraging words and, you know, everything I ask, they will provide for me. It seems like I was very demanding because I started feeling like to eat some stuff that the hospital was not providing. Some kind of food, African food that I thought, these are things I have not eaten for a long time, but I just wanted to eat this stuff. I don't know for what reason. They will go out and search for these things. I had great, great friends in the community that came to support me throughout my stay in the hospital. At this point, things were really bad for me at uh, Stephanie James, Sean Fraser, Melanie Reed. These are three people from the com community that were in the hospital, I don't know, every day. Like, they will come even in the morning before going to work. After work, they come back, leave in the night. So at this point, things were not just going well for me. Mm -hmm. And I passed out again. And at this point, I knew that, wow, it was all for me. I remember praying one night. And I told God, I said, God, you brought me into this world. And... I think I've had a great time in this world. And if you want to take my life away and take me out of this world, it's okay. But I ask that you give me another chance. And there was a night I was sleeping around about 4 a.m. in the morning. This technician who comes in to collect blood samples, he came, he took blood from me. At this point, I've gained my speech, but not perfectly. He came, he took blood samples. That was around in the morning, I think, 4 a.m. Yeah. And when he was go leaving, he came back and he told me that, you know what? God asked me to pray for you. I feel like I should pray for you. Should I pray for you? I nodded. I said, yeah. He held my hands. This guy prayed with me for about 10 minutes. And the guy told me that, you know what? My spirit told me that you will overcome this challenge. Stay firm 
in the Lord, praying. Are you a Christian? I said, I'm a Christian. I believe that there is a God. There is Jesus Christ who died for our sin. I believe this. I've seen things in my life. I've heard stories that I believe. And he prayed, he prayed. And he said, okay, I'll talk to you another time. He left. I never saw this guy again. Of course, I stayed fast. I believed in God. I kept praying. Things were just going down. And one weekend, my sister just decided this was not the right hospital because it was so bad. I remember the nurses that called her to say they're not sure this guy is really going to make it because things are just not... The guy, the ophthalmologist? No, the, the nurse. So the nurse actually called her to tell her that um, we should think of another alternative because I'm not responding and things things are just getting worse. She only told me this when I came out from hospital, you know. And that, that day she could not sleep. She knew that I was going to die. So this and was she, this was after you were had let out of the hospital? Yeah, no, I'm still at the hospital. Okay. The first hospital? See at the first hospital. So see at the first hospital. Now she decided the first hospital, this is now one month spending at the first hospital. So she made a decision to take me to Dallas. So we left for Dallas. And then uh, we got to Dallas. The people immediately sent different specialists. That same night I got there. They attended to me and uh, admitted me. Next day, lumbar punctures again. Now this is my second hospital. The first hospital was one month. The second hospital, I did one month again. So I got there. They did more lumbar punctures, like four other lumbar punctures. So in all, I had like eight lumbar punctures. Now in, at the second hospital, they took me to the theater and actually said they were going to open my eyes. They want to create some space at the back of my eyes to reduce the pressure, to create space so that the fluid can have enough space and exert less pressure on my eyes. So we went in there, they did the work, came back after like one week, no change. So you had eye surgery? Yes, I had eye surgery. Okay. So at this point, I was still unable to walk. I could not eat my own. So I was still in the bed for all this time. I could not use the restroom. Somebody had to bait me, everything. Now I had the occupational therapist coming in, speech therapist coming in, physical therapist coming in, working with me. And I remember my memory was not yet back because at this point in the second hospital, the speech therapist had sessions with me. And one of the questions that still rings in my head up to today was who is the president of the United States of America? It took me like five days to give her the right answer. Every day we had the session, she would ask a couple of questions. Many of them I don't remember. This is the one I still remember. It took me like five days 
before I could give her the answer. And I remember the day I said, Donald Trump, she looked at me and said, Sammy, do you know how many days it took you to tell me Donald Trump? I'm like, wow. They would ask me the date, days of the week. I would not give any correct answer. It took me a long time. Then that's when she told me that I think your memory is coming back. So they kept working with me, working with me, different exercises, you know. And finally, I remember one day she came to me and said, yeah, I'm happy. I think your memory is back. Wow, that gave me some hope. And the physical therapist would work with me every day. The first time she took me off the bed to try to work, I had just, I could only execute like three steps. And I was so tired. She asked me, do you want to try? I said, no, I cannot go further. Then she took me back to the bed. And gradually, I gained some strength. I started doing like five steps, 10 steps gradually. But at this point, I could not walk on my own. They still had to hold me to do this step. And at some point, I was able to gradually step on my own. And still in the hospital, even though my sight was the biggest problem, it didn't come, and then I had to be discharged at that point to go back home. So I went home, recovering from home. Um, things were not easy still. You got home, you know, the place that you used to, but it's like a new environment. You don't know what is in front of you, you know, you don't know where you are. I remember I used to get so lost in the house. Yeah. I could not find the doors. There was a time I went into the restroom. That was like one o'clock in the morning or two o'clock. I used the restroom and I did not see the door to go out. I struggled in the restroom for like 10 minutes. Touching here and there, I can't find the door. And I really had to like, I don't know, raise my voice, scream or something. And someone had to come to help me. Like, what is wrong? I said, I can't find the door. And they showed me the door. So my orientation was just still very bad. But then I was lucky to have the Texas Workforce Commission send someone to come, uh, give me some training. In fact, credit is to Shonda because when I lost my sight, she started looking for resources and we found the Texas Workforce Commission. It was American, uh, what was it again? Federation for the Blind. American Federation for the Blind. That was the first one we found and then from there, we got Texas Workforce Commission. Then we contacted them and then I paid a visit to them. They um, kind of registered me into the database and then sent somebody to come check me out at home for assessment. And they've been really supportive. They sent somebody to train me with a cane, somebody to train me and uh, maybe using my phone again, on maybe using uh, electronics like the washing machine, microwave and stuff. Yeah. And uh, at this point, I, I, I actually went to, to Austin. Chris Crow is like uh, a school 
for the blind, the vocational school for the blind. And I went there for like a tour to see the place because uh, I'm going to go there next year for some months, maybe like six months. Mm-hmm. Six, eight months. Yeah, I'll spend time in Austin to try to gain my independence again. Because at the moment, I still rely a lot on people. I still rely a lot on people. Yeah, I don't know if I've talked a lot. Or no, it's good. It's good to share your whole story and figure out what's going on and things like that, you know? So yeah. right now, you're getting. I know you guys are getting ready to, to head to Austin to come and take part in, in the blind school. But uh, you've also started teaching Kizomba again. So let's take a quick moment to thank our sponsors. Have you been looking to level up your Kizomba, but you don't have the local instructors to take you there? Are you looking for something concrete to practice with your Kizomba partner? Or are you looking for Kizomba lessons that you can take on your schedule and the comfort of your home? If you answered yes to any of these questions, look no further. Learn to kids.com is what you need. Progressive step-by-step lessons that you can take at your pace in the comfort of your home or anywhere with a solid internet connection on your PC, Mac, or any smartphone. New videos are added every month. You can try this awesome resource out 30 days free at learn to kids.com slash podcast. After the 30 days free is only a low $15 per month. But again, the special offer for the Dance Your Heart on Fire listeners, 30 days free at learntokids.com slash podcast. You won't find this offer anywhere else. Learntokids.com slash podcast. And now back to our show. I'm pretty sure Shondell and, and Sammy, both of you guys can kind of share some of the insights on the challenges. And then I guess some of the the benefits that have happened as well with Sammy's condition being blind now and how that's been interesting with him dancing again and and teaching again and and that kind of thing, you know? Mm. Well, yeah. Like you said, uh, I'm back teaching. I was back in um, October this year, 2018. That is when I went back to teach. In fact, I was really missing teaching Kizomba, not to talk even just dancing. I remember when I was in the hospital, of course, we had uh, the Dallas Kizomba Festival that was coming up in September. We sold some tickets. And um, because I was in the hospital, you know, the team was suggesting that we cancel the festival, and I was really against. I didn't want it to be canceled, even though I knew that I was not going to be there. But for me, I thought that this was an opportunity to grow my community, an opportunity to bring the talented teachers to come teach people. And it was something that was going to have a positive outcome in terms of growth in Kizomba, in Dallas, or U.S. in general. So that alone made me to think that it was not wise to cancel. Mm-hmm. Not for them, but that no, you you think your health is important. I remember I had arguments there while I was <laughs> in hospital, like, no, we shouldn't cancel. Yes, I'm here in the hospital, that's fine, but people can go dance and learn and all oh, what. They said, no, no. And finally, I I accepted with them and we had to cancel and refunded uh, money to people. And yeah, so going back to teach again was something great for me. 
I was not sure when I left the hospital that I was going to dance Kizomba again because my balance was a big problem when I came back. And there was sedation, they came to visit, and she took me off a walk, went walking around the block, and I said, Shonda, can I just try if I can do a move? She said, are you sure you want to try? I said, yeah. Because at this point, I could not even walk on my own. I had to support, uh, I needed support, I had to go somebody mm-hmm. to walk. So I remember I did basic one, and then basic two, oh, like okay and a slow acceleration very slow a very slow slow like, serration <laughs> i would say like take my time like you know i could not do it as i was doing before but the fact that i could just do it still gave me a lot of pleasure yeah. a lot of hope and i remember i tried one of the moves that i love so much okay i struggled to do it but i did it at the end of the day and i was so happy. I went home. I was like, wow, yeah, maybe I can still do this Kizomba. If I get my balance, I started trying to work on my balance, work on my balance. And when I started getting right, I was like, yeah, yeah, I want to go teach again. I want to go. Got to class, Shonde and Stephanie were the people teaching my classes. So when I got there, it was that day. I think before going to class, it was a social first. I went to the social. One of the social, and that day, oh goodness, I danced like hell. <laughs> I got to the socials that day for four hours. If I do, Great. I was just dancing, dancing. It was like something new for me again. My balance was not bad, but I was struggling with it. And I just enjoyed every dance. I danced with some new, like beginners. People were still struggling, so yeah, of course, I would just keep basic stuff and, you know, just enjoy the dance. And I learned some things there that, you know, sometimes you keep this thing very basic and nice, you know, you enjoy it so much. So I, I didn't have the opportunity to be doing some technical moves and, you know, complicated kind of things. So it was just simple because, first of all, I didn't have balance. And then secondly, I was dancing with some people who are beginners. So... But I enjoyed the dance at the end. That evening I danced so much. And then now, starting to teach, it was not easy though. Because now I don't see the people I'm teaching. I have to start classes by asking, who are the people here? Try to connect with them. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, start teaching. Now, in fact, before I made the decision that I had to go back teach, I told myself that I've met Dallas community there were people who were very instrumental in growing the community. And everybody's putting in a little bit of effort. My own effort was also respected in the community. People supported me. I enjoyed what I was doing. I needed to see some growth. I needed to contribute in my community. I told myself, I will go back to teach because I saw I could dance at home. So I said, okay, so let me go back and still teach, do something. So, but my challenge was that, how am I going to communicate this thing now to people that I don't see what they're doing? And this was really a problem for me. So I started researching, you know, trying to look for other blind teachers for any dance elsewhere to see how they approach teaching. I did a lot of research, but at the end of the day, it boiled down to feeling 
And I realized that, you know, when you stay with your partner close, connected with your partner, and you pay attention to feeling, you tap a lot of information from your partner. Whether you're a follow or you're a lead, you get a lot of information. You pay attention, just feel. And this gave me the courage. I went back to class, everything we're doing. Of course, we have two lines for follows and then one for lead. So we show the move, explain the technique, everything. Then we pay up, we dance. So we switch partners. And so I have the opportunity to dance with many follows. But sometimes I have to change my role as a lead. Before I was not learning to, 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 to follow. But with this current situation, my new identity, I needed to learn to follow. So at home, I had huge homework to do. I started learning to follow, you know. Sunday would come and teach me to follow. I would use my sister at home. I told her Kizomba from scratch. So I would start following the, 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 the lead move and ask her to do it. And then I would try to follow and just to start getting a grip of this thing. But Sunday helped me to put me through some of the techniques to follow. So I started following. So in class now, I will switch role and dance as a follower. So I can also assess the, the lead, what they're doing. Of course, Shonda was doing the same thing too. And then when they dance, when they pair, sometimes I go and I stand close to them, put my hand at the back of the lead and also at the back of the follow. And they're doing the most. And I'm feeling uh, whether they're following the beat or whether they're expressing different rhythms in the music. I can tell. Weight what, transfer. Weight transfer, all those things I tell. And then now sometimes, even if I'm not sure of what they're doing, I actually put my hand down to the leg to feel whether you step in the right way I want, are you placing your leg in the position I want, weight transfer. I use feeling to really tap in this information. So... I also discovered that paying attention to the sound also helped me a lot. Before when I had my sight, sound was not something for me. Sound in terms of the steps. When you dance in the studio, you listen, you hear people stepping. And before, I was not paying attention to steps because I could see that. And I would listen to music. I would know whether you are doing what I want. So by this time, I don't have the opportunity of having my sight. So I relied on sound also, any clue I can use or helpful. And sometimes people are slow or they don't do the right count, the finish on different time. I'll be like, oh, somebody is finishing late. And everybody will laugh because someone finished late. And the person knows who they are. (laughs) And sometimes what happens is, okay, if I show a move, or demonstrate a move. First of all, I want to make sure that everybody can execute it alone to be comfortable with yourself executing that move before you partner with somebody. So now, when I do that, I stay inside and we hold hands. We form a long line holding our hands. And I pay attention to 
the movement, the information that is transmitted along that line that was formed. And as we step, I'm feeling the movement. Mm-hmm. If there's a delay, I feel some vibrations like something is coming afterwards. And I would say somebody is late. And most of the time, it was right. And when I dance, like, feeling is important. I feel, I can tell you where your weight is. I can tell you, you are, you're not closing up your move when you finish. You're, you're leaving your legs open. Mm-hmm. I can tell even when we're dancing, I feel the weight is just wobbling around. I stop and I say, oh, you, 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 you're not moving right. You're keeping your legs open. Move natural. Move like you're moving the house, going to the, going to the fridge to fetch something. Move like you're going to see a lover, a friend, somebody you're not thinking of. Like, okay, I want to move, you know. So, and most of the time they're surprised. Like I'm saying, oh, this leg is supposed to be behind. It's in front. It's not supposed to be here. How did you know? I feel, I feel it. I know. So yeah, it's not been easy, but uh, I'm gradually finding my way through. And I think that losing my sight has made me to gain some insight on leading to, to be very precise in my leading, to communicate efficiently. I try to use other tactics to lead. And I realized that it's adding the information adding to the intensity of information they're getting from me so that has been helpful yeah shonda maybe you have something to say i've been talking (laughs) (laughs) yeah shonda what have you noticed uh seeing sammy since his because you know him before and after yeah so i'm curious to hear your perspective of what you've noticed from him and how it's also i guess benefited you or affected you and things like that you know well, as a teaching partner in the studio, it's been, it's interesting because there's an experience of being a teaching partner and then sometimes we're learning partners when we go to events as well. And in many ways, I become his eyes. So with the teaching, I'm looking to see if people are executing the moves well, are they, you know, aware of the technique for how to step or are they going in straight lines? Are they, you know, up when they should be up and down when they should be down in their hips or is their frame, you know, parallel to mine or is it slanted? So things that you might notice visually, you know, from a lead looking at other leads, not necessarily being led by other leads. We don't have available from Sammy's side anymore. So I'm, you know, paying attention to that while also paying attention to the follows. You know, what are they doing? Is their um, body movement on on task and, you know, that type of a thing. So sometimes, you know, just a simple thing, any of the instructors out there, you go through, you have a, you follow a sequence. We don't do moves. We don't execute moves. We really focus on techniques so that you can create your own moves. So when we do the, the movements, you ask people, you know, are you, is that okay? You know, does anybody have any questions? A lot of times beginners don't know what the questions are that they should ask, and they don't know how to pose dance questions either. And having one set of eyes on them, I can help them ask the questions that they need to have answered because I've seen them. So I help Sammy 
then teach to the things that are needed in the room. Yeah, as a learning partner, I have to say it's challenging. Mm-hmm. It's very challenging. Um, to go to events, you know, people have been kind enough, enough to invite us to events, and we've been in the lab. We've been in the laboratory really trying to figure out how do we convey the information that's happening at the speed of real life to someone who can't see it. Mm-hmm. So we take for granted so much from our language when we talk about looking, seeing, you know, had a vision, you know, I was looking to do this thing, you know, I saw that he taught us this thing, like, we depend, 99% of our lives depend on vision, like, even to our balance, like, it's the, it's the, I'm a psychologist by trade, and we think about embodiment, part of being human is being able to see, because that's how we've shaped our world, and that's how our world has shaped us. Mm-hmm. So to be in these events and not being able to see what people are explaining, people explain as if people explain, how do I say this? We'll give explanations like, okay, step here, step there, you got it, uh-huh. And the stepping here and there is abstract for someone who can't see it. There's no instruction given. Step with your left foot, yeah. you know, halfway through, step with your right foot, turn your body on an angle, make your follow, turn to a 45-degree angle with your right with your right lead hand. Like, deep instruction is not given. Mm-hmm. So then my task becomes to back lead him through a move that I'm learning at the same time I'm supposed to be teaching it. So it's like translating what you do from one language to the other, you know, Charles, you speak, you know, a number of languages at this point. So having a translation, you know how that you have to have a very quick, nimble, agile mind to be able to, in the moment, translate from one language to the other. You have to understand it, and then you have to convey it. For sure. Learning a move with all the different parts of the body, where's your hand placement, where's your weight shifted, where's your lead supposed to be. And I lead very competently, but I'm trying to learn from the lead perspective through the body of the follow to lead him through the move. So I have to turn myself in certain ways to try and mimic the lead, but then that gets confusing because then I don't know where the follow is supposed to be. So I'm constantly going back and forth and it gets to be dizzying. Like it comes to be a point where I'm just exhausted and I feel bad because I want to help him have a full experience but I'm not quite able to translate it all the time. And it also changes my experience of just being in a workshop. I can't just be in a, in a workshop. I'm also working. So it's, it definitely, it affects it, what we do. It affects what we do. But one of the things that I've noticed as a, <clears throat> as a, a, a nice outcome, a nice outgrowth of this is his connection. So, I remember the very first dance where Sammy and I connected. It was like two years ago. And I remember I like shoved him on his chest. Like, there you go. There you have a connected dance. And he was like, wow, that's amazing. It was like, yeah, first time you had a connected dance. But that was ages ago. So fast forward to this happening. Now connection is the main way he communicates from his frame to energetically slowing down from thinking about creating a whole lot of new moves to actually being in the movement. So he still has 
seed in creativity that's coming up with different combinations of movements and where the place to follow and turning her here and stepping her there. And, you know, it's a lot to keep up with because he's brilliant in the dance. But now he has this added layer where he doesn't have to take you through all of those movements. He can now sit with you closely and do a nice rock step, you know, to an, to a four count and, you know, just be okay with that movement. So we just had a showcase even last night for a whole different dance community of steppers and they kept coming up to us like your connection is awesome you guys yeah. dance so well yeah. together that dance was so sensual i could tell that you guys are connected like they were all remarking on the closeness that we had and that's a huge outgrowth of me being present for him and him stepping into being present for the dance with his follow as well so that's a nice um experience to have you know every time you connect in the dance every time we connect it immediately plugs in and we're ready to like be doing the thing together that's yeah. awesome yeah maybe i just add to what shonda has been saying mm -hmm. um, in fact i i really appreciate the um other people from the communities that i'm inviting us to the events like cindy Bellex in uh, oklahoma uh, of course, Shika, Jev from uh, One Keys, and uh, Oji and uh, Pamelita have invited me, even uh, from Austin. Um, Jennifer. Jennifer. Jennifer Cannon Jennifer, for the Houstonian yeah. crew. Yeah. Audie and Pamelita from Festival MPK. MPK. Yeah. I mean, these people have given me the opportunity to, you know, learn from great instructors. And one thing I really appreciate the 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 um response I get from the the instructor, like I approach them and I say, okay, I unfortunately don't have my sight, so it's so difficult for me to follow the class, you know, to reduce the burden on the Sunday explaining. So they step out of their way, you know, to to quickly give me to show me the move and explain and ask them question before they even start teaching. I was so happy to, 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 to have that. Audie did that with me at One Piece Festival, you know, before his class. I met with Audie and we went through the move and, you know, we I was comfortable with it and I didn't really have to take part in the class again. And sometimes I had the option to just stay by the side and just lay around with the move and stuff. But I, I really appreciate that. You know, it's something that the, I don't know, if uh, if people who are disabled, like we cite, attend many festivals, but it's something that we people shouldn't feel that if they don't have the sight, they cannot go to learn because there is or there are options out there. There are ways that they can communicate to you. These teachers are very friendly. They're very loving. They have time to attend to you and still go to show. Even after the class, I remember, you know, in one case, we had uh, Chris Kizomba. I really appreciate the fact that Chris, after his class, he took me up to his room. To his room after his teaching. Room. There, you know, went through the moves again, and he was not rushing. He took his time to make sure that I understood everything, you know, explained them to me. And, wow, any problem? I said, no, I'm, I was good. And he said, oh, yeah. The same thing with Jordan. Mm -hmm. Jordan took time to explain stuff with me after the class, you know. 
Jordan Joy, right? Jordan Joy. Yeah, took time to explain things to me, and I, I, I really appreciate this kind of uh, um, uh, support that they provide to me. It tells me that you know I still have to go to the festival, to events, to learn. Even though I don't see, you can learn, and I think people are so friendly too because Arasali too took time. To Arasali show me Castillo. some moves, yeah, Arasali Castillo, right? Took some time to 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 show me moves, and we tried to figure out things, and finally I got everything that was happening there in class. So to say that uh, you cannot see and you stay at home, you don't want to go in, I don't think it's really an option. <laughs> yeah. I just want to add, Guani also answered some questions that you had. Oh yeah, Guani. Yeah, yeah. I had some questions. I asked Guani. He was very uh, friendly, and we talked about a couple of things about Kizomba, Tarashina, and uh, Tarasho. You know, gained some knowledge from them. Yeah, he was really supporting too. So, yeah, the community is really showing itself. I mean, from the events, you know, it, people inviting us to these events and the promoters giving us complimentary tickets to be able to enjoy, that's beautiful. I mean, these events come down to effort, blood, sweat, and tears, and money, resources, input, and output. And so to make a space for us to attend is really a blessing. And then, so, you know, we have the promoters that are, you know, welcoming us in this way. Oh, we forgot about Charles and our private that we had with no, Charles. No, to that. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, this opportunity to be on the radio with you but um so yeah sammy will get to that i guess but um there's also with the can i skip ahead to the gofundme because i feel like this is a natural moment where people are showing up for us we have the instructors we have the promoters and then we have the community members themselves actually supporting sammy as a real person who is in a time of need yeah, a person in a time of need. And it's interesting because he's showing up in the community as, you know, with this great attitude, with the energy to dance and to dance well and to engage with students and to teach. Dance is like a life source for him. So if it wasn't for dance, he would be in a different place than he is right now with his healing. And he has great family support beyond what most of us have, I think. So he's really blessed in many ways. But the reality is that he's still blind. He's still visually impaired. So how he moves through the rest of the world outside of dance is challenged. It's challenged in so many different ways. Like, he talked about getting lost in the bathroom. How many people can imagine that? You know, you just go in, you flip on the light, you do what you need to do, and you come out. Mm -hmm. Versus... Spending 10 minutes in a space that you knew that's only so big. Most bathrooms are like, what, six by four or something? And to get lost in a space that's like the size of your breathing capacity is just, it's crazy. Yeah, so I feel like there's something that the community can be reminded of. One, that this dance that we're doing is really powerful because it can motivate someone in such a, an extreme circumstance to continue living their life and to continue um, thinking big for the community. Like we're looking to put on the Dallas Kisomba Festival again. And that's based on his vision, his drive, you know, his motivation 
more than anything. He is the leader, which is why we didn't do it that one year last year, because mm-hmm. he's the lifeblood of the festival. That's like Neil Kids without Charles, without Mr. Neil Kids. It doesn't, it's just not quite the same thing. It's going to feel different. So, so yeah, so the Kizomba community has been coming forward, you know, with our Go- GoFundMe campaign, where people have contributed their hard-earned money to support him when he can't take his effort and his energy to earn his own money. So it's been, you know, the community showing up to help him just live, you know, to manage the costs of life. Yeah, um, wonderful. The, yeah, you know, talking about the uh, GoFundMe and the support from the community, just it's, it's been amazing, you know. I stopped working, of course, I have the profession of uh, medical entomologist, and this actually requires a lot of sight and, you know, going out to the field and collecting samples. Here, I mean mosquitoes, <laughs> bring them back to the laboratory and kind of work. Mosquito and, hunter. Yeah, so I hunt <laughs> mosquitoes. <laughs> so you, 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 you need a lot of sight to work. So losing my sight meant I can't do my job. So I've not been able to get uh, income. But you know, the community has been there. There's a lot of power in the community. There's a lot of power. It's not just the dancing on the dance floor. It's far beyond that. But I think many people don't realize. People just come to the dance floor to just have fun and go. There is still a lot that happens in the um, under the umbrella of dance beyond the dance floor. I was amazed when uh, when um, Hannah Hobson from Arkansas from Arkansas put up the GoFundMe with her team, and the response was unbelievable. People have never met or people that I danced with them, they heard about my story or heard about what happened. They responded. People donated their hard-earned money. I could not just believe it. I didn't know that dancing with people was just beyond, you know, the dance floor. Mm -hmm. You dance with somebody, the person goes back and has that in mind. And people were saying, that, oh, I last danced with Sammy here and there. Oh, it was a great dance. Some people that I didn't even dance with them just told me that the conversation we had. I've met people who told me that, we, like one lady told me we met in his uh, last year. And she said that we were just talking. And that the discussion we had around dance as a whole, that I opened her mind so much about dancing. And, you know, it started ringing the bell to me that dancing, it's not just to go to socials and just dance and ends there. No, there's a lot that happens out of the dance floor. People contributed. I was able to, to pay my phone bills now. I'm able to buy something, eat for myself. I'm able to do little things, even buy gifts and give to some people just because people gave to me. Christmas is coming. I'm thinking to buy one or two gifts for loved ones. 
I wouldn't have been able to do this without the GoFundMe. Mm-hmm. I really want to take this opportunity to thank everyone who contributed for me. The people who didn't have to contribute, I say appreciate you for reaching out or even thinking about me or even praying for me. I really appreciate it. I really want to thank Shika Jay for donating through her festival selling of tickets. She donated a huge amount of money to me. I want to thank everyone. James and Shiraz. James and Shiraz for going to Arkansas to teach, to raise money, to support me. I have, you know, of course, there's a particular, there will always be a particular place where you want to be on it. And there's so many places in the U.S. where I want to be with Kisomba people. I love them. But for some reason, Arkansas stands out in my heart together with other places. And one of the reasons is I have, of course, I have great friends there. I have Yemi there, I have Hannah Hobson living there, I have so many of them living there. But I remember that the first time I ever had the opportunity to go teach, no, not the first time, the second time I had the opportunity to go teach out of our city here, was in Arkansas. And the turnout was amazing. People turn out. And I remember Yemi was so happy with the turnout. I was so happy with the response in terms of people being happy with the content of the class. And of course, you know, they have to pay studio fee, pay for food and all other logistics before you get your own whatever payment. And Yemi totally told me, Sammy, I'm just happy that the community people are happy that you've contributed, you've given them some insight into the dance. And, you know, I feel like what we agreed on is very small for you. And this guy just gave me all the, all the money. <laughs> I was like, no, Yemi, you have to pay for this. They said, fine, I'll sort that out. Wow. Mm. And to see that they turn out in their numbers, because they heard that I was in trouble. They needed to support me. They came out to support Hannah Hobson when she hosted James and Shiraz. And they raised good amount of money for me. I felt like, wow, this is the community. If I just went to dance with people and I just went back home, and I don't do something in my community to grow my community. And I don't do something. You don't need to must teach a class to grow a community. You don't even need to 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 always be in all the socials to grow a community. There are little things that we can do. Even just the advice, getting information, talking to new people who are coming to the dance. You know, there's so many problems that dancing community face so many things go on in dancing community if you can take your part to just talk to people give them information be careful of this be careful of this you grow the community in a way i was so happy you know and just i mean of course you surprised me when you came home to show your support i was having this uh micro circulation mm-hmm. oh, stuff and of course, I can't see. I was sitting there. And I was told, 
just is here to see you. This was at your house? This is at my house. And in fact, I was supposed to listen to Charles workshop. <laughs> I made up a story. <laughs> yeah, at the Fusion Festival. I was like, Charles is giving like so, a keynote. Yes, <laughs> and I kept like, hey, hey, Shonda, make sure you are there and make sure that your phone is on. Yeah. Call me so that I can listen to what Charles is That's saying. That's something else we do. So he was then, listening to the festival over my phone. <laughs> and Shonda was like, oh, they changed the time for the class. I had an appointment or something like that. Yeah. I answered. Oh, no. I said, okay, I have to wait to listen to this thing. And the next thing was, Charles is here. I'm like, who's Charles? It didn't <laughs> seem to me that Charles is the one I've been talking of the whole day. I want to listen to him. Who just said, Charles from Austin? I said, Charles Oga? I said, yes. I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, I, I was just like, oh, wow, my goodness. I couldn't believe it. I really, really, really was happy that you came, Charles. He was a great support for me. The chat, the experience he shared for me, based on your own experience in life, motivated me, gave me a lot of uh, you know, uh, inspiration to carry on doing the kind of things I want to do for Kizomba. Mm-hmm. And it didn't just end there, you know. It didn't just end there. I was so happy again that you invited us to come to the social in Austin. I mean, I came there, your home has always been like my house. If I've been to Austin, I don't know, four times, I slept in the house like three times or two or three times. Mm-hmm. I always feel comfortable to be there. It's made it to be like my home. I get there, I feel so comfortable. And the last time I was there to have taken like two, three hours, we just talk on Kizomba, having yeah, a private that. lesson with me, was kind of telling me that, yeah, blindness shouldn't stop you. Keep going. We are there for you. Putting me on the right track, giving me the energy. It motivated me a lot. I learned a lot that day. It motivated me. And I am grateful that I'm using that knowledge together with the knowledge I've got from many skilled instructors to pass it on to others and i think that is one of the reasons i keep teaching because i feel like tomorrow somebody needs to learn we need to have some people today to teach other people so that tomorrow those people can teach some other people and if i fail to pass the knowledge i have today and maybe after 10 years 20 years kizomba has not gone anywhere i'll have myself to be blamed i'll be like oh no I didn't contribute. But I want to be proud tomorrow that when I see Kizomba being something huge like salsa, bachata, everybody wants to learn it. Hmm. I'll feel proud like, oh wow, I contributed. I taught Kizomba. I mm-hmm. did this. We had festival. We did it. I did something. Mm-hmm. I, I believe that we all have something to do. Mm-hmm. I'm also grateful that Audi and Pamelita took time off to come right at home to visit me at home late, around about 8 o'clock. People are already retiring home and resting. They had to drive up to McKinney. On a very cold night. On a cold night. On a motorcycle. On a motorcycle. Know what that means. They came. We spent quite a good number of hours at home talking about the tanks. They gave me workshop, private, not workshop. They gave me private at home. 
you know, it's amazing. They changed my 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 opinion or my view or my mindset about the dance, you know. They contributed in shaping the way I now see dance. That was amazing. They've given me a lot of support. I really say thank you. Special thanks to 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 Dr. Uche. Yes. Yeah. Uchena Uchena Obioko. Yeah, Uchena Obioko. Amazing guy, a chiropractor. Uche has given me like ten chiropractor sessions. Alignments to what? What? He comes up to me, Kenny. He drives up there to see me, and he's been supporting me in different forms. Call me, we talk. He's connected me to different people. It's amazing the support I receive. I'm so grateful. And these are things that you get out of the dance floor. You don't just go dance, you have to connect with people. Connection is not just with the music or your partner there on the dance floor. Connection is out of the dance floor as well. Connect with people. If you stay isolated, you don't mingle with people, you don't get some of these things. Yeah, definitely. You don't get it. Yeah, people have reached out to me asking to help in different forms. People have helped Dimitri, uh, I forgot his other name. Because that is Dimitri Zukalev right okay, now. It's Dimitri, Dimitri. Huh? Mm-hmm. So he changes his name. <laughs> He's been very supportive too, you know, shared me some experience from his family about the mom losing her sight and got back her sight. People have told me different stories, you know, motivated me. He took me out for a photo shoot, you know, session with Chandra. We had some photo shoots. I have some pictures already on Facebook and stuff. I really want to thank him, especially for all those uh, things he's been doing, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, who else have I left out? No, thanks, There's just so many people, you know. Yeah, I, I, I still have to reach out at personal level to the people who contributed to the goal for me. So yeah. I I know it's taken some time. I know it's not yet over, but I'm going to reach out to them. Yeah, the GoFundMe is level. still active. We have a goal that we've set in mind just to help meet the cost of medical expenses and cost of living. So the campaign is still on for sure. Definitely. And I'll be sure to share uh, that link uh, in the show notes of the podcast so people can... Uh, checked out the GoFundMe and donated if they feel so inspired to do so. Um, but yeah, we're we're about an hour and 15 minutes into the podcast now. So um, to close up the podcast here, um, do you guys have anything you want to share to the community? I know you guys are giving a lot of thanks to everybody and things like that, but um, any yeah. last pieces of, I guess, experience slash advice? I, I I would like to say, Charles, that uh, I think it's, it's it's important at this point for me to say that I am extremely fortunate that this that losing my sight occurred when I'm living here in the U.S. I'm really fortunate. It's a privilege. If it happened when I was living in France, I don't think I would have had the same treatment or the same care like I had, like I'm having here in the U.S not to talk of Africa and Cameroon where I originate. 
blindness there is a huge, huge setback. Because if you lose your sight, you don't have any support system. There's nothing like somebody comes to take care of you, like train you or maybe using a cane or you have any technology to read your your messages or maybe make a phone call, you know, there's nothing. Back home, when you lose your sight, it means that you're grounded. You don't move, you stay almost one spot at home. That also means that a kid in a family will not go to school because they, you need somebody to help you. You need somebody to give you food, give you water, take you around the place. So when somebody loses his sight, somebody loses education. You don't go to school. I remember growing up seeing blind people back in my community in Cameroon. You see a little child with a stick. He holds the stick and with the father or whoever is blind is holding the stick at the back. So he's moving forward and the father is following, whoever is following. Throughout, this child will not go to school. Everywhere the blind person goes, this child is there. Now, you don't have any support system. It means you don't have money, no job. So they tend to be beggars. Many people, you see them sit by the side of the road. Yeah. And they have like a container for people to pass in and put money. So I look at all this thing and I'm like, I'm grateful for America. I'm thankful to God that this happened to me here because I've had amazing support from the dance community, from Texas Workforce Commission. I've been able to to make phone calls from my phone, of course. I've been able to do little things like, okay, make breakfast for myself. Mm-hmm. That's challenging sometimes. I'll be able to do my laundry. I'll be going to Chris Crawl there in Austin. I'll, by the time I finish, I should be able to use my laptop again, just like any other person, check my emails and do stuff, just like any other person. So it has been amazing. And I, I just want to say that I will be coming up with some projects in the future to help blind people in these communities, like in Cameroon, in other parts of Africa, and even in the U.S., something that I can try to help because I've got a lot of support. I've got a lot of knowledge from, or I'm gaining some knowledge about being blind, and I'd like to share this knowledge to other people to help them. One challenge that I face that I would like the community to know is or not the community, no, but of course the community anyway, is that when I go to socials, I dance with people, sometimes they forget that I'm blind. Sometimes they don't know. Like somebody I dance with doesn't know that, oh, this guy doesn't see. You dance like you did before. Yeah, of course, just because I dance like I did before, you know. So I've had situations where I've been left alone on the dance floor and people go and I'm lost. I'm just standing there. I don't know which direction to go. And I'm like, we've been doing this and then looking for somebody to stop. And I remember in Stratos, one lady saw me just standing there and she walked to me and like, oh, they left you? I said, yeah. <laughs> she took me to my seat. It's happened a couple of times, you know. But people shouldn't feel bad if this happened, you know. It's just that 
um, you just try to remember and then get me back to my seat. And then as I'm sitting, please, I'm asking that, ladies, come get me to dance with you. It's not like before where I used to go around dance with everybody, come invite people to dance. This time, you come invite me. <laughs> so please, thank you. I'm just sure that uh, we'll have a great time if we do this, you know, we'll all share dances. Yeah. yeah, I'd like to say uh, we have an opportunity to make our dance community more accessible, to make the workshops more accessible. So there are lots of different abilities out there from physical challenges that may not be immediately apparent to cognitive, you know, disabilities or some people may not be able to translate movements just by sight, even if they have their vision. We have the opportunity to start describing the moves that we're doing down to the body to actually tell people how to move in space so they can get things. We might see like an improvement in people's you know performance where like as a follow going through the circle, I've experienced quite a number of leads who are trying to look and see the move and don't know where to place their lead hand or don't know where the left foot is supposed to go or how to get the right foot out of the way. Because I think partially it's because the descriptions that are given are largely dependent on vision. That you can see what's happening in the room, past all of the other bodies, and figure out how to do it with your body with a new person in your arms for the next 10 to 15 seconds. So we have an opportunity to make it more accessible to different learning styles and different abilities. Yeah, that's awesome, awesome, awesome. Alright guys, it's been awesome having you guys on the episode. And I think it'll be good for people to guys hear your story and your experience with this has been going on. And I really like that you guys are continuing to play an active role in the community. And I'm pretty sure I'll be seeing you guys soon. If not, it'll definitely be uh, in Dallas for your event in September. Yeah. Of 2019. Yeah. 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 Dallas Festival. Festival coming up, of course. Uh, great to be interested in this uh, new concept stuff that I've been thinking about. Uh, I'm hoping that it's going to make a difference, you know. It's going to be some uh, fun time for people. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. All right, guys. I hope you have a good day. And thank you guys so much for taking the time to share your story. Thank, thank you, you so for much. having us. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for checking out the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast today. Be sure to check out neokizomba.com for links to everything that we chatted about today, as well as some awesome free resources to enhance your Kizomba journey.